Hello, and welcome to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. We release these episodes every week on Wednesday mornings, and the best way to support us is by clicking subscribe and taking a moment to rate the podcast wherever you are listening. If you'd like to support our efforts to keep the nonprofit Meditation Center open in Nashville, you can donate via Venmo by sending your donation to at Wild Heart Nashville, or you can make a donation through our website, wildheartmeditationcenter.org, by clicking the Donate tab. Peace and love. Hope you enjoy. Good morning. Day two. Thanks for showing up. I really mean it. Mikey instructed you to and encouraged you to, and here you are. (laughs) (laughs) A-plus students. But really, um, I have a lot of appreciation for your practice. I'm actually working right now with um, um, a lot of this virya, a lot of this energy that I spoke of yesterday, um, in part because I'm so stoked that we're doing this together. And I like to be really clear that the Buddha taught in, with an aspiration towards liberation. There, he was really quite forward that that was what he was up to. He said, I teach suffering and the causes of suffering. And so for me, this practice is not about just getting more comfortable or dealing with kind of my past unfoldings or history. It's like liberation full stop. And it's a pretty tall order. And liberation is uh, slow and nonlinear work. Just because it's nonlinear doesn't necessarily mean that there's no structure. The Buddha outlined um, quite (laughs) a structure for us. And I found it really helpful, really supportive. Um, living life without such a diligent path can wreak a lot of havoc. So when I first came to Buddhist practice, I had been studying in a lot of different traditions, predominantly yogic and tantric traditions, and it was as if there were so many techniques that I was operating with. I remember reading an excerpt from Chunga Chopa who said, sometimes we have so many techniques that it's like we're walking inside of a junk shop. (laughs) You might go searching and there's probably something really amazing there. There's probably a treasure, but you've collected so much that it gets quite dusty. What it's like to engage with a technique for a sustained period of time so that it's like entering into a gallery space where there's a single sculpture. And give yourself the time and the space to investigate and to observe, to get to know that technique. So retreat is really special for giving us that, that 
that gallery space, that openness, to sustain our attention towards the technique. So today we move forward with the Satipatthana, or the foundations of mindfulness. And the Satipatthana, for me, is like I was hovering around in the air, you know, and then I found the ground. And I found this foundational teaching of mindfulness. And it's like when you're like up in the air and then you touch the ground, you're like, oh shit, this is, this is different. You know, getting your hands in the dirt. And it's, and it's messy, right? I'm talking like real uprooting, um, real investigation. Taking these teachings as teachings towards liberation that are methodical, that are outlined. Earlier this spring, I was uh, harvesting yellow dock in uh, uh, the Blind River. Maybe some folks know it in Mississippi. Full of gators and like very murky water. So you have to get down off the canoe and like (laughs) put your whole body into this unknown terrain and like lift the plant from the roof. And it's really tough. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is actually the experience of the no mud, no lotus. <laughs> yeah. That it, it requires this kind of effort um, to, to gain the clarity, the awakening, the wisdom that we're after. So yesterday, spending time with awareness of posture, with gathering the attention, connecting, sustaining to the sensations in the body, focusing on the breath, loving and caring for the breath, a kind attention to the breath. And today, incorporating or moving into Vedana, or feeling tone. This is, as I understand it, or interpreting the second foundation, really starts to bridge more from the physical sensations uh, and into a mind aspect. Start to really see the mind at work, and that's partly why I'm so energized, is because I think this shit is really cool. The four pastures or aspects of mindfulness the direct immediate sensorial experience of the physical body, meeting an impression, a primary impression of I like it, I don't like it, or I don't even notice it, and I don't really care about it. Which then instigates or triggers the mind and contents of the mind. So this word Vedana, related, I I think, in the way that Indo-European languages are related to the word in English of witness. The Pali root ved means to know. So to know or to, to experience. Thinking of it now, any anas are also knowing, so it's like the knowing of experience, or knowing the know. But actually, I'm like a literally a poly school dropout, so I couldn't be inaccurate with that. 
Vedana refers to what is known, what is experienced at each of the sense gates, what is felt. And it specifically refers to that experience of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral that arises with any time there's contact, right? The sense organs of sight, smell, taste, sound, thinking. The mind is a sense organ in the Buddhist view. Instantaneously, there's an impression. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So when we experience a sensation in the body, Okay, experiencing some tension in my right knee, unpleasant. Sound, the AC humming, pleasant. Some vague geometry of frame photos in the back, neutral. Just a moment of contact. Sometimes it is referred to as feeling tone, or hedonic tone, or affective tone. We like to use feeling tone around here, um, and also offer some clarification that feeling uh, has a lot of connotations when it gets translated into English. Feeling can refer to emotions, it can refer to opinions, it can refer to physical sensation. So what the Buddha was asserting is really keeping it specifically to a categorization of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, a basic impression when we make contact with the world. And it's, as I said, the Mind is a sense organ, so we're never not making contact with the world. And we don't have to choose this experience of Vedana. It just shows up. It just comes to us. That's not to say that it's not conditioned in ways, right? Where we are conditioned by our biology. We have a nervous system that has evolved to kind of scan environments um, on a very subtle level for potential threats or potential opportunities. It's been quite helpful to gauge like, hmm, might be poisonous, might be nourishing. We're influenced by our memories or some associations, past experiences. Vedana is often unpleasant for me with Rottweilers. Past experience. You can say, okay, simply unpleasant. And then our culture and society, kind of cultural norms or expectations might influence what these impressions feel like. When I leave the South and I'm like, y'all ain't saying hi to me? Not even one of y'all on the street right now? Unpleasant. <laughs> like, how do y'all live like 
like this. <laughs> so we don't have to go looking for Vietnam. It's just this conditioned impression created by the mind's evaluation of mental or physical phenomena. When we came to this retreat, um, initially, there was a process to enter. Right? You were made aware of the process that uh, one of the lovely retreat managers came out to give you a COVID test. You figured out the test in order to care for the community, right? to make sure that we're all safe and protected from COVID in our time together. And there was this whole ritual of like, okay, once you are negative, you can enter. You know? And throughout the whole pandemic, I've been saying like, uh, test negative, stay positive, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we tested negative and were able, you know, to come into this shared space um, for some safety together. And the Buddha said that Vedna is like a subtle threshold between the gates of per the sense gates and perception. So he described it like a funnel, a very narrow funnel, or a neck, or a doorway, in which all experience must enter through the same kind of process. Right? So the wide range of human experience, all the different things we can experience in the world. Um, all pass through this kind of gate, this simple impression, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Like, uh... So this is hella important. And why is it important? Is because if you can station yourself at the door, if you can greet, these momentary, instantaneous impressions and watch everything that comes in, then you don't have to let in things that are unhealthy or unsafe, unwholesome. You can let in things that are healthy, supportive, wholesome, nourishing. And you can leave the unwholesome at the door. Mindfulness gives us a tremendous vantage point, you know, an opportunity for us to stay well. Joseph Goldstein says that mindfulness of feeling tone or Vedana is one of the master keys that both reveals and unlocks the deepest patterns of our conditioning. So this is the source point where we get stuck in craving or aversion. In the case of pleasant, craving more, in the case of unpleasant, pushing it away, in the case of neutral, oftentimes delusion, kind of checked out or not even aware. So if we're not mindful, pleasant feelings can be habitually conditioned towards this clinging and this craving, and unpleasant feelings can condition a dislike or aversion. And yet, when we're mindful, these same feelings can be a vehicle towards freedom. 
So feeling tone is also sometimes referred to as a, a key to liberation. It's like as we become more attuned to our experience of pain, pleasure, or, or unpleasant, pleasant, or neither, then we increase the possibility of short-circuiting the proliferation of the mind. Is that it's actually not a given. Proliferation isn't like foreordained that we can cut it off. We have the possibility to at least offset it in our response to this impression. And the Buddha speaks about this in, when he talks about two different kinds of people, the uninstructed worldling and the instructed noble disciple. Mikey Nye's teacher, Panawati, will sometimes talk about the uninstructed worldling as stinky, thinky bags. <laughs> so what is thinky, stinky bags? <laughs> we might contact unpleasantness, right, and feel a aversion to that unpleasantness. It creates a lot of frustration, anger, you know, resistance. I know I'm stuck in it when I say, oh, things should be easier. This should be different. Very distraught. It's like we're struck by two arrows or two darts, the Buddha says. The first is that we've already experienced a painful feeling. That's the first arrow. The second is when we're not mindful of this, we're afflicted by another arrow that is actually more painful than the first one. And how sometimes I think, um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Tarot, but there's like the Eight of Swords or something. I'm like, I don't know that there's just two arrows, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> sometimes this pain in the knee feels like 70 arrows, right? Not the pain in the knee, the Buddha saying. It's your reaction to the pain in the knee. It's the mental proliferation that begins with unpleasantness. So it might start with mental proliferation, but our response to Vedana also conditions how we act, right? A collection of these things can lead to a mood. Moods can lead to all kinds of actions or inactions. So it's really an important and impactful gateway, a threshold. It's almost like instantaneously a path could be set forward to us if we're in a habituated response to reacting to pleasantness, unpleasant or neutral experiences. So that's what makes it a pretty big deal, right? As if our mindfulness practice is not strong enough, then we are on a path of automatic, habituated responses. And later, then we realize that we've said something or done something, acted in some way that we might regret. And we realized we were under the influence of compulsion in some way, in some way we weren't free, right? 
that in a sense uh, uh, it wasn't our choice or our will or our decision necessarily, but we've been taken over. Right? Pushed and pulled around by these reactions to be or act or do in ways different than what's in line with our intention. Turns out the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain (laughs) drives much more of human behavior than we might be aware of. And it's so quick, so seemingly automatic that we don't even often realize that the two are separated, the first and second dart. Yeah, we experience something as pleasant and it comes in and we say, I want that. Unpleasant, go away. But these are actually two very distinct and different movements. I was on retreat at Spirit Rock once, and I entered into a room for walking meditation so many times over the course of, uh, this was a 30-day retreat, and about halfway through, I entered into the room and noticed this Buddha statue, and I was really struck on you know, in a space of concentration, having cultivated a lot of mindfulness or every detail, right, kind of becomes a bit more vivid and exquisite. And I had to have that Buddha statue. (laughs) It was gonna actually be my key to awakening. And it was so profound for me because I was like, oh, look at that. This is me desiring. It's like I slowed down the process enough to say, oh, first I'm noticing, okay, this is really pleasant. I'm seeing this image, I'm seeing this statue, I'm seeing the details. It brought me pleasure looking at this statue, right? And then the desire that I should have it. (laughs) Maybe if I make it mine, it will be more pleasurable, right? But those happened in such clear distinction in one another in that moment. I observed it sequentially as seeing the Buddha, recognizing the pleasantness, recognizing the pleasure, experiencing it, and then wanting it. And when I saw that these are very distinct experiences, these are two different activities of the mind, I was like, oh, there's a possibility for freedom here. It's possible that I don't have to pick up the desire. I don't have to get so involved with it. It can be fleeting. So I think that this power of Vedana to if, slow down enough to see that, oh, it is the beginning of freedom. If we can see the first arrow 
and just respond to it and oh here exists that gap here exists some space where there's choice so it's possible to leave the pleasant the unpleasant alone to not get involved with it you know it's possible to uh, respond in a way that's not automatic but if these two are yoked together right the vedana and our reaction to it and we don't see them as distinct separate phenomena, chances are we're already in the stream of desire, already caught up and wanting to pull something closer or push it away. We don't have a strong enough attention to not be sucked in by desire. My understanding is that in the time of the Buddha, there was a lot of talk around um, omniscience and the quality of all-knowingness, right? Or the gods or the Brahmic realm, able to know everything, all things. And Gil Fronsdale asserts that Vedana is potentially Buddha's cheeky response to that. Cheeky, but really smart, is that you know something about everything if you know Vedana. If you know its feeling tone, you know how to handle and recognize a situation. A situation that could become quite complicated, this becomes, okay, This is a very unpleasant situation. These circumstances are unpleasant. (laughs) Or pleasantness. Pleasantness has arisen. And just recognizing that gives mindfulness a place to land, a place to settle, a place to open up to, to not get jumped around and confused, boggled up not go chasing after or trying to understand or analyze or track what's going on. The knowing feeling tone can allow something to settle. So it turns out that a very high percentage of human reactivity of wanting and not wanting is um, not really based on very sophisticated analyzing of the situation. Rather, it's based on a very simple, almost amoeba-like process of a tendency to go towards what is pleasant, to move away towards what is unpleasant. So we're watching this movement, a movement for and a movement against, and seeing it clearly before we're pushed around by it, before we're dictated by it. I've long identified as being an anti-authoritarian. The second arrow is a a place of authority, right? So there's a lot of freedom to be found. Seeing that movement kind of opens the door or window to a deeper understanding. And this feels like, to me, what the second foundation is about. 
this transition from body to attention to the mind and the mind's relationship to the body as soon as it makes contact with any phenomena. So we're moving in the direction of cultivating awareness that can observe experience and be wide enough to hold all experience. Pleasant, unpleasant, liking, not liking, wanting, not wanting. All be seen through awareness, all be known. So everything goes through this threshold, this primary impression. And today we'll start paying attention, paying attention with mindfulness to how we receive sensations. Only as a way to discover a little freedom So to clarify practice today is that, you know, we're still chilling in the sublime abiding kind attention to the breath, to the body. And we find the, the anchor of an object right? and generally resting in that anchor. And when we notice our attention is getting pulled in some direction, pulled or pushed, right? Which it naturally will do. We have these sense gates and paying attention. We are allowing that, not immediately returning to the anchor or to the breath, to the sensation of gravity, not immediately, but getting curious, turning that same kind of attention of a loving, caring investigation, yet simply noting pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, right? I want to encourage the, the noting and just staying there for a few moments. You can sense into it a little, linger there for a moment, notice some accompanying sensations, some the gravity of this second arrow, right? There can be, I, I'm almost um, wary of the word investigate, at least for me, it's, given, it's, it's kind of firm. <laughs> so a, a soft inquiry is preferred by me that, that really changes things. So you can inquire into the experience, but we're really looking for just the headline, not the story. There can be experiences um, um, that are instigated by feeling tone that might have helpful information there. But right now we're learning what's it like to be at the gate, basically, or 
to be one of these lovely assistants protecting the mind, saying, what are we allowing in and what are we not? So just noting experience, staying with the anchor. I'll say for me, at times, um, Vedana practice has um, kicked up uh, a lot of energy, um, which is why we're encouraging the mindfulness of breath and body as a primary practice. Because like I said, you don't have to go looking for Vedana. I did that for many years. It felt like an endless game of whack-a-mole. <laughs> I felt really prideful when I was good at it. <laughs> right? But it was something like that, seeing this like um, the inertia of the mind to say, oh, can I name it? Can I track it? And that is this like temptation and in this desire stream of craving within the experience of observing the roots of craving. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if we notice that we're uh, really turning to a kind of relaxed awareness, and it gets too much, or you notice getting really thinky or analytical, like this is a really um, subtle practice. We're going to keep it basic in these three categories, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. I'm beginning to settle into a posture that is conducive to mindfulness. Establishing a kind of wakefulness in the physical body. You might make some adjustments, however big or small, of really establishing your seat. Bringing awareness to the points of contact with the cushion or the chair. Mindfulness of gravity. Slowly settling into the physical body. (coughs) 
receiving any physical sensations that are present. drawing awareness to the breath, this old friend. Finding that single place, a predominant awareness of breathing. to soften and relax around the breath while attention or awareness moves closer and more intimately into the breath. breath may be seen as a relatively neutral experience. The sensation of breathing is possible to be experienced as pleasant or unpleasant in any given moment. the sake of our practice this morning. Allowing the breath to the extent possible to be a home, a neutral place of abiding. And begin to receive sounds. The sounds of the environment. 
the room, sounds of your own body. Gently observing sounds received, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Focusing the attention a little bit more and opening our awareness to the subtle levels of pleasantness or unpleasant tones of experience. We can bring awareness simple, instantaneous impression made in the mind. as we open up to sound, opening up to all the phenomena that's present here in this moment that smell is happening, taste is happening, sight even with the eyes closed happening. physical sensations happening, thinking happening. Keep our attention on the breath and when the mind is drawn, perked up by sound, sight, smell, taste, sensation, or thought. Just noticing, is this a pleasant feeling? Does it feel good? Or is it an uncomfortable experience? You're resisting the present feeling.
bring mindfulness to the feeling tone itself. Seeing for yourself how you relate to pleasant, unpleasant. What does your mind do when present time experience is neutral? Any sensation in the body or in the mind that may have no pain or pleasure associated with it? to hang out with that sensation or does the mind get a bit bored? Going in search of something more unpleasant or pleasant.
resting in the simplicity of breathing, this neutral home base. Only when the mind is drawn to a phenomenon you allow yourself to experience it fully, noting pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. When you become aware of an aversion to unpleasant experience, attempting to meet it with a friendliness, kindness, Allowing the pain or discomfort to be present, but meeting it with the understanding it will pass if you just allow it. Become aware of a pleasant experience. Noting and Enjoying for a moment the pleasantness. Attempt to let it go. Release the mind-body's grip towards attachment by softening, relaxing back into the breath. phenomena. I'm not quite vague or noteworthy as pleasant or unpleasant. Attempt to relax into the absence of suffering. Knowing the experience of just being and then redirecting the attention back to the anchor. (laughs) 